Uh, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. So if you like to read along, that's what it is, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. So last Wednesday was a, a pivotal day in the history of this church. In fact, I, you know, typically I get the sermon to, to sue, but try to shoot for Wednesday. And I let her know, I'm like, I, I, can't, I, I can't work on this until that meeting's over. Because then I, then I know what I'm talking about. So uh, I appreciate that so many of you were, were there to participate in the voting process that, that ultimately did result in us breaking ties with the United Methodist denomination. And as we go through the, the process and the work, frankly, of, of moving on from that point... I want to spend some time here on this first Sunday reflecting on what is changed and what is not changed. So we're going to reflect on this, the nature of church that we have from Scripture, what it means for us today, what it means for us in the future. So we are going to start with this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. And incidentally, this is the passage that I shared with the kids uh, during the devotional time at our Kingdom Archery Club. Because I wanted them to know that they are all a part of God's kingdom too, and they have a place in his church. So in this passage, Paul talks about the makeup of the body of Christ. Just as a body, though it's one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given this one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church First, the apostles, second, the prophets, 
third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So to be a part of the church, we talk to the kids about this, is to be part of the body of Christ. In archery, I asked the kids if they go to church, and many of them raised their hands, Some, many of them didn't. And I asked if there was a difference between a church and the church. Is it different to be a part of a church from being part of the church? And in each of the age groups, I was impressed. I had a kid who understood the difference and keyed in on it and could correctly answer the question. We might go to different churches, but we are all part of the church. So what does that mean for us today? On Wednesday, we voted to end an earthly relationship. Legally, institutionally, we are no longer part of the United Methodist Church. But our passage today reminds us that it is not our written agreements and binding documents that unify the body of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us. It says we are all given the same spirit to drink, every one of us who are part of the church. So it is the Holy Spirit working in every church and in the heart of every believer in Jesus Christ. It is a unity that is of God. A divine unity given to the body of Christ. It is a unity that is far more important, far more powerful than any human contract. So what is the source of this unity? Is unity defined by agreeing on all things all the time? If it is, then I think we could take a quick look at the history of Christianity over the last 2,000 years and say, well, it's been an unmitigated disaster because no one agrees on anything. We have disagreements all the time. Disagreements, schisms, denominationalism have been a part of the church since its founding. Earthly institutional unity is not the unity we seek. It's never been a hallmark of the church. But I would suggest to you that there is ultimately unity within the body of Christ. There is. Our unity is in Jesus Christ whom we all serve and we all seek, and the Holy Spirit which guides and directs us all. That is our unity. The great A.W. Tozer put it this way, 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard, to which one must individually bow. 
So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart and spirit nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become united consciously and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. That's a beautiful sentiment for us today. And I think it reflects the truth of the unity of the church. This means that for those disagreements that make earthly institutional uh, unity a challenge, which we've seen, we would do well to trust in the Holy Spirit. There are Christians that take positions that I don't agree with and that I don't understand. And I'm sure they would say the same thing about me. I might see myself as a hand and look over at that proverbial foot and say, man, I do not know how you are reaching the conclusions you are reaching. Are we even reading the same Bible? But if we are seeking the same Savior with our heart, calling the same name in praise and needing uh, and, and having hope in the same promise of salvation, then I have to trust God that God knows what God is doing. God knows what he is doing in his church. God has a purpose and a plan that goes beyond our lives and, and, and we aren't given access to all the information. Perhaps we can't even humanly comprehend it. It's possible we strive to make God understood in human terms, but he has his own that we simply do not completely know. Romans 11.34 says this, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We leave a denomination that has and will continue to seek the lead of the Holy Spirit and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ as best they can. It is okay to acknowledge that our differences in understanding are there and they're real. But today on this first Sunday, I want us to remember that we are part of a greater body. It would be, in fact, sinfully arrogant to question the fitness of those whom God has called to be part of that body. A few months back, I was chatting with a much wiser, much more mature, much more knowledgeable pastor on these things. It's been kind of a, an interesting opportunity for clergy to get together, to sit down and talk just informally, uh, you know, for the past year or so. And I told him that we were still working out what we were doing, which was true back then at the time, probably six months ago or so. And that we might be, you know, independent. We weren't sure. And he quickly corrected me. He said, Andy, there's no such thing as an independent church. It doesn't exist and it's unbiblical. And, uh, you know, my choice of words was poor. I know what I meant. But his point was well made. The idea of an independent church flies in the face of Scripture. A church that considers itself apart from the body of Christ 
or thinks that they are the true body of Christ to the exclusion of all others is sorely mistaken. They are, in fact, no church at all because they are outside of the bounds of the nature of the church. Now that we are outside of this denominational structure, we have to pay more attention, not less, to being a plugged-in member of the body, to the churches around us, to the church worldwide, to the community in which we serve. To pull away, to become insular, is to disregard the church that Christ established. Within the framework of denomination, we, we had a ready-made community for connection with the rest of the body. Most big denominations do that, you know. Now we have to act with intentionality to stay connected. What does this look like? What actions and behaviors does this drive? What ministries does this point us to? I'm not here to answer all those questions today, but rather to implore you to pray. All of you to pray. Prayerfully consider this point. Why? Because God requires it of the church. Let's look at scripture and see how. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, striving for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Galatians 3, 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So yes, we did leave the denomination and we did it for a reason. And I do not regret what we did. But we have to remember why, what it really meant. We did not leave the denomination simply because we disagree, but rather because those disagreements had come to the point where it was an untenable distraction and hindrance from the unity of the body. And we said, I can be more unified with the body from here. Let us now from this new position do everything we can to be united with the body of Christ. We're reminded also today from our passage that the Holy Spirit is moving in this church. Oh my goodness, is it moving. Friends, take a moment and consider all the things that have had to happen, all the things that worked out in the life of this church just in the past six months. Just the way they had to happen. In all ways and in all times, the Spirit moves through the body and tells it what to do, tells it where to go, guides it on its next steps. The nature of the Spirit of God is movement. The Spirit moves. From the second verse of the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit of God does not sit still. It moves Moving across the water in a still, formless earth. The same Spirit has moved this congregation many places over the course of its 123 years of existence. 
Some of you have seen quite a bit of that. Some of you not so much. But the Spirit leads us on today. This community around us and the kind of, you know, larger community right outside of of us has changed so much in that time. It's crazy to think how much this community has changed. And the Spirit of God, decade by decade, molded this church into what it needed to be in each of those seasons. Friends, the ending of our relationship with the United Methodist Church was bitter for me in many ways, and I know it was for many of you. But today, on this day, there is no bitterness in my heart. My heart is filled with joy and anticipation for the movement of the Spirit. It is time for us to turn our hearts towards that wild, unpredictable Spirit of God that has brought us into this time. To what adventures and challenges it leads us now, I can only begin to guess. But I'm excited. I'm so excited to see what the Spirit of God has next for us. In this church, we have a door on the south side. We have a door on the north side. We have a door on the west side and a door on the east side. Who knows where we'll be pulled? Who knows where the Spirit will direct us? Do not think for a second that the Spirit of God has led us to this moment with anything less than the intention of revealing the next beautiful chapter of this congregation. I mean this from the bottom of my heart to all of you. There's no one I'd rather go on this journey with than you. And I'm excited for it. Let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Spirit of God, we have nothing to do but to give ourselves over to you. We have just, uh, we, we wait, we wait for vision. We wait for the Spirit's movement. We believe that it is there. We have nothing but faith in your provision and your plan. And God, we will pray each one of us in the days and weeks and months to come as a church and as individuals for that plan to be revealed, for that vision to be made known so that we can boldly step into it together and continue as we have done for 123 years to speak the saving name of Jesus Christ into this community and into the world. Lord, you are all we need. Be all that we require. We rely not on our own strength, but on yours alone. So Lord, we put ourselves and this church into your hands as clay goes into the hands of a potter. Make us what you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.